Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're in episode 36, Marika Magic at Suncorp. So we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We are real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Loud and proud, mate. So how has your week been, buddy? Look, I can't complain this week. We've actually got a victory. So first victory, <laughs> a first official victory under Dave Rennie. Um, it's a good day to be a Wallabies fan or a good week to be a Wallabies fan, I should be saying. Really? And we don't have a game this coming weekend. It's a two-week break until Argentina. So we're just going to ride the coattails of this victory all the way until that Argentina game. We're going to be riding this victory until 2024. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's more as well that we can ride on to. But if not, we'll just take this one. We'll take it. Exactly. Like Perth last year. (laughs) exactly we have actually had some really good engagement from fans over the last day or so we've we uh put out a call out for questions comments or scathing criticisms uh (laughs) for us or the game and so many people have got in touch thank you mitch why don't you go through our social platforms yeah awesome so we are on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we are on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page give us a like or a follow there and we're also on twitter at hashtag pick underscore drive rugby wonderful so the plan for tonight is pretty simple is we're going to hit up some of the spicy news basically we're just going to talk about the broadcast deal and that's it um and then we're going to hit up the game review we do have some questions that we're going to go through to guide us but we'll probably go off task because we're just going to love to talk about an australian win and if there are any listener questions that we hadn't got to already by that point we'll just quickly roll through those thank you again for everybody that has commented and got in touch before we finish off with our predictions for the argentina game in two weeks time Does that sound good, Mitch? That sounds awesome. All right, let's head straight into the spicy news, which is the Rugby Australia's announcement that came through on Tuesday today about the broadcast deal. So if you have your head under a rock and you don't know a single thing about it, basically Australia or Rugby Australia has agreed to a broadcast deal with the Nine Network, which obviously owns Stan. And it is a deal for three years initially worth $100 million across that time period. It's probably not as much as Rugby Australia might have hoped for, but the benefit is they have a free-to-air game, which which is going to be live every week for Super Rugby, free-to-air packages for women's rugby and uh, Shoot Shield as well, as well as a Queensland competition too. And there's a whole bunch more of it, but that's just the beginning of it. Um, Mitch, what were your initial thoughts whilst I get the article in front of me so we can go through more details? (laughs) What were your initial thoughts? Uh, I was super pumped when they were announcing this. Like there's been whispers for a few weeks now that Channel 9 was the front runner to get the rights. And now that it's been confirmed and uh, been officially signed off, I'm just so excited. I can't wait. The idea is that, yeah, as you briefly briefly said before, Channel Channel 9 or the 9 Network, whatever their um, channels are called throughout regional countries, um, they all have different names, but um, they will be showing <laughs> the Super, uh, Super Rugby AU Saturday game. So from this year, we had the Friday night game and the Saturday game. Each week, Saturday will be shown live on Channel 9. And then the other Super Rugby games, as well as Super Rugby Ataroa, will be shown on um, Stan, which they're launching in the coming days. To, they're announcing in the coming days, but will be officially launched 2021 Stan Sport. So, yep. it's, so it's going to be an add-on on top of your regular Stan subscription. Yeah. And there's been a little bit of talk here and there that, you know, rugby's still technically behind a paywall because you have to pay additionally for that uh, to access the rest of the games, not just that one week or the Wallabies games. But 
I still think it's a massive, massive step forward. We're going to get free publicity, uh, free, uh, free advertising throughout throughout the weeks on Channel 9. We're just going to have people that are just flicking through the channels on a Saturday evening, coming across rugby and giving it a go. And honestly, it it's the, the best option out of everything that was currently being put forward. So I'm just super pumped for it. I think it's most it's very realistic, but also it's going to be opening up new viewers to um, rugby, particularly through the stand platform. So yeah, there is going to be additional cost, and I'm interested to find out very soon what that's going to be. Uh, I actually went to the Stand Sport website and signed up to get the uh, uh, information. What's oh, it is it already I live? I got to get on well, that. No, no, it's not live yet. There's a website where you can sign up to get contacted yeah. once the okay. information comes out because yeah, I want to cool. know. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's going to get promoted on Stand itself. So there's an opportunity for more people to, and like rugby is the flagship of uh, sport of Stan Sport. Exactly. So it's pretty exciting that that is something that they are working towards. Um, now, let me just quickly quote from the news article about the broadcast deal. So all Super Rugby AU matches will be live and ad-free on video on demand streaming service Stan alongside Super W and all matches of Super Rugby Aotearoa. Saturday night Super Rugby AU match will be live free to air in a nine network every week and all Super Rugby AU final matches will also be live free to air on network. Um, this stand will also exclusively stream every Wallaroos test, rugby championship, what is our cup as well as all inbound tests for Australia New Zealand with select games also broadcast free to air on nine. So that's that siphoning requirement which is coming into play there um the rivalry and tribalism of club rugby is also included in a landmark deal which will see every match from two of australia's oldest premier rugby competitions the shoot shield in new south wales and the hospital challenge cup in queensland on stan um and there will be four matches across the regular season of the shoot shield which will also be live on nine Yep. as well as I think it's one every week of the finals. No, I think they said every week, every finals game. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong on that one, but regardless, there is some free to air element, which is coming in. Um, yep. Well, it's interesting because like um, shoot shield already has a free to air component, but it's just not as well advertised as what it can be now on the nine network. Yeah. And there was a on one of the Facebook groups that I'm in today after this was announced there was someone asking that now that we've got this this new broadcast partner and this new broadcast deal are there any things that we'd like to see incorporated into the game that's not currently there now one thing I commented on was I would love to see them actually use the technology that they um that it's available as particularly in shoot shield in the form of TMOs and um sort of replays so at the moment, when you watch a on a, the game of the rounds, they have the facilities to broadcast and to to record the games, but they don't actually have the facilities to be able to replay it and, and send it up. So every now and then you will be watching a shoot shield game and a contentious decision will be made and the referee just goes with it and doesn't have the ability to back it up. I would just love to see this like move forward and, and have that, yep. that, that connection now. Yeah, when I first uh, saw the news of this, break this morning i was immediately very very happy because as loyal listeners would know we've been pretty salty about fox sports over the last really the origins of this pod yeah um yeah we we've struggled big time with the way in which they've been promoting and basically just creating this negative discourse around the game and so there's a part of me that's very very excited but as some of the commentators and pundits are saying as rugby fans we do need to be thankful for fox and the way that they have supported and um 
basically enabled the game to be professional with their broadcast deals for the last 25 years. So there is a large element of history that's behind the scenes, which is very, we should be very thankful for. So on that part, thank you, Fox. But for the last 12 months, uh, less thanks are being directed your way. And I'm really excited to see what the new broadcast team is. And so this is actually a question that comes in to us from Twitter, from Sam Hopkins with the handle at steamed hams quality i love it skinner love it right there thank you um will moving rugby no sorry who's your new commentary team so i've got an idea of who i would want as my commentary. i've actually heard um whispers that drew mitchell is set to head up the commentary team oh really already like he's in talks and signed on with nine already and they're in the process of signing a few other players and for me personally that's awesome i love the work that he does on um the the other or the Aussie rugby show now, not the other rugby yep. show as used to be called. Um, but yeah, I just reckon he's great. He's such a good laugh. Um, he brings such a different sort of perspective to to commentary and to just the, the coverage. So definitely for me, I'd be starting with Drew Mitchell. Really? My starting point, Nick McArdle. Yeah, okay. Absolute start. You build it around him. He's the professional. He's a gentleman of it, but he also has an element of charisma and humor as well. Not not as much as someone like you, Drew Mitchell or Andrew Swain, but enough to be like a, a gelling point for the rest of the team. So I, I would start with Nick McArdle and then have some color commentators like Drew Mitchell that yeah. are bringing an extra edge. Um, I'd love to see Lou Ransom involved as well. I think she's great and adds a lot of enthusiasm, But and you specifically need female enthusiasm within rugby union, not yeah. because they can't bring it, but because it's just such a male-dominated game that we need that female presence. Well, I mean, we've got the Wallaroos now, so it'd be great to see some of the old yeah. players like they're doing in the NRL. Yep, uh, agreed. Bring some of the girls across as well, so that'd be good, good to see. Yeah, and I'd love to see Andrew Swain heavily involved too. Um, I think he's really, really fun. So for me, I'd almost have like Swainy doing the calls and then maybe Drew being a colour commentator. Yeah. And even actually, I accidentally ripped on Rod K for last week. I said a couple of negative comments about it and then realised I meant to say Phil Kearns. <laughs> you know what? I actually um, do that all the time as well. <laughs> He'll start yeah. saying something and I'll be like, oh, Phil Kearns is horrible. And Brandy, my wife, sorry, is like, oh, that's um, that's Rod Kafer. Like, oh, my <laughs> yeah, wife so knows that my wife can tell the difference and I can't. Who's got maybe the rugby we podcast get, Maybe here? we should get her on. Yeah, maybe we should get her on the new Nine Network for the broadcast. Um, but I think Rod Kafer could still do the analytical side of things. I think he'd be a lot more uh, colourful and engaging if he didn't have the dour Kearns by his side. Yeah. I feel like Kearns, like he, Kearns knows his stuff. Yeah. He knows more about rugby. He's forgotten more about rugby than I'll ever know, but he brings the energy levels down. Yeah. So I feel like um, maybe Louise Ransom heading up the kind of pre-match, mid-match, post-match side of things. And then with alongside Nick McArdle or, and then the commentary would be Swaney doing the call with um, Horan and sorry, Kafer. I meant to say Kafer, uh, with Kafer and uh, Drew Mitchell doing. So you'd bring Kafer across, okay? Yeah, right. yeah, I'd bring Kafer across. Interesting. Um, I like him. I just like the analysis that he does. Yeah, um, no, he's got he a good rugby brain. He does good insights. He does. He really does. Yeah. So, so for anyway, me, um, for me, <coughs> look, I would go with. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Nick McArdle has to be that kind of host role. Yep. Nick yep. McArdle or even Lou Ransom. Both of those are quite yeah, good agreed. choices. I agree with good. both of those. Um, I would use Drew Mitchell as the kind of sideline commentator because he's mm. already got that connection with the players. He's not that far retired that he's and he's still sort of in it 
um, that I just, and he, he's good at banter. So I feel like he would be the great person to be chatting to uh, one of the players coming off at halftime. Cause he could, you know, he get the, get the joke in, get the jab in and, and sort of keep it light and hearted, but also be able to ask some questions that uh, bring in some insight into what's happening. So I, I think that's his ideal role. Um, for me, the person who I would like to see commentating would be Sean Maloney. Yep. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love he'd his be very work. Good as well, actually. And Andrew Swain together. Both of those guys would be my two commentators. They've done mm-hmm. a little bit of work together. They've done a little bit of work to, apart. I just think their personalities <laughs> are brilliant. Um, and then that fourth person or the fifth person, where however many we're up to, I like to see <laughs> a, um, another former player come on. So maybe someone like Matt Dunning or Ben Darwin, he's got a great brain. I don't know if he's got the time for it. Um, yeah, probably too but busy. Maybe someone that hasn't retired that long ago either. I don't mm. particularly have someone a even like Heath, Heath Tessman from the Force. Yeah, exactly. Um, someone like he's that. He's recently retired, has had a long career, and is very well respected and regarded. Um, someone like him could be a really good addition. Plus, yeah. he's from the West, so that immediately brings an element of we hear you and see you and value you as exactly. well. Within. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Mm. Okay, let's keep on. I line up. Yeah, fair enough. Let's let's keep on rolling because there's a lot to get through tonight. Um, one of the quick question from uh, New South Wales Waratahs fan page on Instagram. Give them a follow. Good good people. Uh, will moving rugby to Channel Nine help the growth of rugby union in Australia? I the expectation of everybody is yes because you cannot deny the benefit of free to air rugby and the opportunity that brings for new fans to be able to access the game. As Mitch said earlier, there is still an element of a paywall for the rest of the game, but having something is better than nothing at the professional level. Yeah, so... I mean, I, I agree with that, but I also think um, it, it will. It, it undoubtedly will because at the moment, you've already got the big games in rugby league, like the um, NRL Grand Final and State of Origin being shown on free-to-air. And people know about it because it's publicized. So I've got people in my circles that aren't rugby fans and aren't all that, uh, like aren't even aware that the Wallabies are playing, Mm. but they're not even sports fans in general, but they will watch the NRL grand final and they will watch state of origin. So people at work will talk about it. They'll talk about, Oh, did you watch the, um, the grand final last night? And they'd be talking about it. And I'm like, Oh, did you hear the Wallabies beat the all blacks? Oh, really? Were the Wallabies playing? And I'm just like (laughs) banging my head against the wall. Because yep. it's bigger than those things. It should be bigger than those things. It's an international test. So just having that exposure of seeing it in the media, getting it reported, seeing it in ads for The Bachelor or whatever's on, um, we'll just get that out there and people will start watching. There's also a couple of other things we need to be mentioning. There has been no commentary so far on whether NRC will be revitalized for 2021. So that's something... To be aware of, it's unlikely to come if it hasn't been mentioned. I just don't think. It, I don't think they're going to have time for it. No, I don't think so. They've already in, um, they've already sort of <laughs> putting out that we're next year we're we'll playing Super Rugby AU with a Trans Tasman sort of flavour cross competition at the end. Um, if we're doing that and then going into Wallabies tests as well with potentially an expanded competition somewhere, it's just probably not going to fit anymore. Yeah, so that's one aspect that we need to be aware of. But also the State of the Union uh, concept, which was mooted originally, is not going ahead for 2021, although it hasn't been shot down. But there was a comment at the end of the Rugby AU article, or rugby.com.au, that said, from 2022, Rugby Australia worked with Nine Entertainment in establishing new assets like State of Union as well as Men and Women's Sevens tournaments. So they're looking at different options. State of the Union will be a part of that, but that won't be happening, if at all, until 2022. 
Cool. Okay. And now, the other one, one final was question was sevens as well. So there's no yeah, correct. Yeah. There's no confirmation that the sevens series will be shown on this. The international seven circuit for men and women will be shown in this either. We're not quite sure what happens there, but I think there is also a big question mark over where that's going to go ahead next year at all as well. Yep. So. All right, moving on to the final question before we get into the game itself from Phil Baird on Facebook. With Stan09 taking over the TV rugby broadcast, will you keep KO and Foxtel? Well, I don't actually have Foxtel anymore. I used to, but they're not part of the internet package, so yeah. stuff them. Um, I actually don't pay for KO either because I skimp off my brother. Uh, so Ooh. I will be keeping KO purely because I don't have to pay a single cent for it. But if I Will your brother be keeping KO? KO? That's the question. No, he, he gets it for motorsport. So mm-hmm. he'll be keeping it, whereas I, I can just tag on. Um, so I will be keeping KO, but if I wasn't paying for it, then no, I would not be keeping it and I'll be out of there as quickly as I possibly could. Yeah, look, this is an interesting question because both of us are in that sort of similar basket. I'm not saying that I'd get it for free because I do chip in with my family, but we share it. So my brother watches the NRL. He's a big Canberra Raiders fan. So he will have KO for that. Um, and we've had it predominantly. We are more of a rugby union household, I will say proudly. So we do, <laughs> at the moment, we predominantly have KO for the Super Rugby and the Wallabies tests. But if they're moving to Stan, and we do already have Stan as well, I would imagine we probably will keep it just for the other sports that are on there, just to flick through. But that's because we've got the three families sort of going through it. But if I was the one that was going to say, like if I was the one that was picking it, um, I would, I probably would, keep KO I would and or Foxtel I'd be getting rid of it and just going directly with so I think that um that wraps up that little part of the podcast um is there anything else you wanted to say just around that topic Ando no good to go cool well then let's move on into our review of Bledisloe 4 all right well now it is time to dive into the rugby action where we will chat through the amazing performance that the wallabies put out to beat the all blacks 24 22 at the new home of rugby in australia suncorp stadium it was a night for wallabies fans this one and it was a night for i guess referees in some ways because there was a lot of controversy in this game with two red cards and two yellow cards dished out but we will get to that Don't worry, we'll get to that. How we're going to run through this sort of recap of the game is we've got four main questions that we're going to sort of focus on. Now, the first question, um, will will I go through all the questions now and then get into them? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so first question will be who who was, sorry, was the game won by the Wallabies or lost by the All Blacks? That's a a head scratch of that one. Uh, Number two, (laughs) who stood out? Good and bad. We'll dive into that. Number three, did the red cards ruin the game? That, that'll be a lengthy one, I can imagine. And number four, does this put pressure back on Ian Foster as coach of the All Blacks? Some good questions there. So I think we shall just dive into that first one. So Ando, was the game won by the Wallabies or lost by the All Blacks? I think it was won by the Wallabies. And that is not to say that New Zealand didn't contribute to their own loss. And let's be really clear, this was a two-point loss. It's not as though it's a drubbing by any stretch of the imagination. Exactly. And whilst it's always good to get a win and it's even better to get a win over New Zealand, we also need to caveat everything we're about to say with the understanding that they had a significantly changed lineup. They've already won a Bledisloe. The competition, like they're not playing for the cup or anything like that. And the Aussies were always going to rebound after the shellacking that they had last week. So there's a few things we just need to kind of put out there. But to get back to the original question, 
I believe the Wallabies won the game because they were able to control the game better and they played to the strengths of the players that they had on the field more than relying upon an inexperienced halves combo. So Australia adjusted better to the players that they had in their lineup and were able to control the game with more uh ex- with more maturity than they had in the previous weeks. So there weren't as many stupid offloads, basic errors, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that as well. I, I don't necessarily think the All Blacks lost this game because to say that, they probably would have had to be in leading uh, mm. fairly close to the end where they actually came back from even bigger deficit. So uh, to me, the Wallabies definitely won this game. The All Blacks, for me, in my opinion, were rattled. So they lost, they lost their player in uh, the 23rd minute. Um, to a red card, and it, they just went to pieces from that. Now, the Wallabies also lost a player, lost Lockie Swinton in the uh, 36th minute, but they they seemed to adapt much better to losing that player than the All Blacks did. Now, this was a team, the Wallabies team that we saw last week were panicking, and they were their combinations weren't there. They were making individual um, attempts. They weren't playing as a team, and they were making simple, simple errors and simple and silly mistakes. This was almost, almost like a flip of a coin because this week it was almost like the all blacks were doing that. Um, They, they just weren't making, they were making simple mistakes. They weren't taking points on offer. They weren't, they just weren't playing at their kind of all black level. I think that there were, in, in addition to that, just some elements to where you could argue that they didn't, New Zealand didn't really make a good choice. Like the standard option of replacing a red carded front rower is to take off the six. And I, I mean, you, your feels have to go out to Akira Yuani here. His first yeah. start for the All Blacks and he gets substituted because he has to replace a front rower. They have to replace a front rower. I think an argument could be made for maybe taking off a winger. Uh, and keeping you and keeping Yuani on there, especially considering the fact that the Wallabies were always going to be playing it tight with a midfield combination of Hodge, Pattaya, and Paisami, or Hodge, Paisami, and Pattaya, they're never going to be spreading the ball wide regularly. So it may well have been better to just condense the ball, keep it tight, play it through the middle. And New Zealand, in my mind, actually had the stronger pack but they just didn't play to that strength and yeah. let the Wallabies control the game further. So I wonder if there was just maybe some out-of-the-box thinking and just don't you don't take off the six automatically, you consider taking off instead. Yeah, yeah, no. For me, it, it sort of seemed like when the Wallabies scored that first try to um, to Tom Wright in the first the third minute of the game, the first few minutes, the All Blacks sort of looked a bit shocked by that. Like they weren't expecting yeah. it, it, what it. To be fair, it wasn't... A, a typical Wallabies try from the last few years. Normally we've been very structured and very set piece driven. Very rarely would you see a chip over the top to find space and executed so well by Reese Hodge. Um, yep. I was surprised by, I, I didn't, <laughs> didn't see it coming it's, either. It's so fascinating. Cause you've just, and I so get why you're saying this. Like the, you said that it's a, we wouldn't see a, such structured, Oh, we, we would expect more structured play with these like fluent, brilliant attacking backline moves that involve like complex dummy runs and everything like that. But, and some people will immediately say, oh, it's a chip kick. It's an X factory. It's just a spur of the moment playing what's in front of him. In no way was this 
X Factor or spur of the moment. Like Reese Hodge, first play of the game, gets the ball, chips over the top. They know exactly what is coming, the the Wallabies. They've planned for it, knowing that the Kiwis are going to do a blitz defense on him because he's not a good distributor and that he's going to, they're trying to force the error out of him and just hammer him first time, player playing 10 against New Zealand for the first time. And he just executes this perfectly weighted chip kick. We get crazy lucky with the bounce. Oh, so good. And so good. Like it's so good that it actually falls in our favor for once. Yeah. Um, and so there's an element to which people look at how Michael Checker used to play. Oh, just always spread it wide. You always have to be looking to play attacking rugby, play what's in front of you and just have these players with X factor skill that's going to win the game for us, Joe, through flashy backline maneuvers. I would argue that this was more exciting than the majority of plays, which I can happen to Michael Checkers. Majority of oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because it's just I just love the fact that there was his pre, there was his plan, that was executed to perfection, and 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 it just all the players did their roles effectively. Hodges' kick was angled perfectly to go between the winger and the fullback and find the grass. Uh, Banks was running onto it really well to regather and then was able to get that beautiful offload at the back of his right hand to right, knowing where right was going to be. Now, I think there's an element where you see the Brumbies connection between the two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just great to see Wallabies players execute on in a style of play that we don't often see from the Wallabies. So yeah, exactly. And that's, Rennie, and that, was, to the players. that was kind of the point that I was saying though, that in in days gone in years gone past the wallabies would have um, spread that to the wing gone through the hands they yep. didn't seem to have the um freedom to just make a snap decision like that it was kind of like go to the structure don't just yep. kick the ball away and we're starting to see now that they're giving them Rennie's giving them that space to do that and it, it came off perfectly and that was I, that the point i was trying to say was that the all blacks didn't expect that either and they started yeah, to yeah, look yeah. around sort of shocked that oh my wait they can score flashy tries too oh dear we're in trouble <laughs> so uh, who stood out to you then good or bad moving into question number two um i i'll let you go first and then i'll jump in after yeah cool so good on the good side for me um i was really impressed with reese hodge we had questions going into this game whether he is a true test level number 10 we know he's played there in his juniors and he's played one test there against japan but he he silenced all his critics he did very well in attack he did even better in defense he made all his tackles i think he missed one which can be forgiven and he took the line on and he distributed well and he did a lot better than i was expecting him to and he did what i was saying in the um the lineup last week that he needed to lead that team around and he did that very well. Yep, agreed. I think what really benefited Hodge was the role that Nick White was playing. So Nick White, uh, he, he actually got some mixed reviews from yeah. um, armchair pundits uh, throughout the game and after the game. The true professionals. The true professionals like us, yes. And he he played a distributing game. He was essentially the main distributor for the team where almost everything was coming off him. And it's only when they wanted to do a particular strike move or really spread the ball wide that you would actually see often Paisami step into first yeah. receiver or Hodge. It was actually more Paisami than Hodge. And so that was just fascinating to see that to begin with. Um, yeah, Paisami had eight passes to Hodge's seven. So it's just showing that Paisami is doing just that touch more or yeah. relatively equal. Yeah. And um, without White there having that strong passing play, Hodge doesn't have the freedom and the time to be able to 
play with the ease that he did. And one of the things that you'll notice is that the Wallabies de- deliberately played the game in pretty tight. So White is doing the majority of the passing off the ruck. He's either playing it to a forward that's wrapping around a corner and just hitting it up, or he will cut the ball out, cut two or three players out to get the ball wide. He's not initially playing it to the 10 who then plays it wide. He's just doing long passes. And people have been saying McDermott needs to start. McDermott needs to start. There is no way that Tate McDermott can play the role that Nick White played on the weekend. McDermott's pass isn't good enough to be able to do that. It is the glaring weakness within his game, even though he's been working with, with Will Genia uh, on that. Mm-hmm. McDermott's ability is to challenge the edges of the ruck. Yeah. He's a fantastic support player, really good in defense as well. His bot kicking is not that great and his passing isn't as accurate. It's noticeable the quality of White's passing compared to McDermott's when McDermott was subbed on. Uh, I think his first pass actually didn't even hit a player or one of his early passes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, other people were saying that White had issues because he uh, was getting... a started to get a bit slow reaching the rucks at points and i think yeah there was a few times there was a few times where he got caught back in the back play and so the ball got to the breakdown Uh, the ball came clean at the breakdown and there was no one there and then the wallabies all started to panic and uh, nick white got there at the same time as one of the other players to to steal to to clear it out there so yeah yeah rev actually uh pointed out something interesting on his pod uh rugby fixation if anybody doesn't know it um where he was saying that a bunch of times nick white gets into little yeah but the thing that pointed out or maybe it was his brother um said that every single scrap is because he's deliberately slowing the play down after a penalty. So remember when um, Anton Leonard Brown like yes. ragdolls him to the ground? Yeah. It's because Mc... it's because um White grabbed the ball it. and kicked it away. He kicked it like out penalty. of the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's and, um, booted it. He got into an argy-bargy with uh, Perinara oh. after Corabetti's bundled Severice out into yeah. touch. And to that completely one slow was down to, the quick line out. Yeah, to slow down the quick line out as well. And Perinara looked Nay like he was it. about to take his head off in that instance. You could see afterwards <laughs> that he had, to, he had to step back and take this massive breath because he was about yeah. to just rip his head off. Yeah, and I wonder if they just lost their cool. Like if White was just doing the thing that you hate from opposition number being that annoying full yappy that just never shuts up and is always in your face. He, he seemed to play that role really well, but people, including myself at the time, misread that as him not having control. Yeah. And uh, not getting showing a bit too, maturity. Yeah, you're yeah, getting a bit too into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought the same thing when I was watching the game as well. I was like, geez. Nick White is really getting involved in these scuffles. But when you go mm. back and look at it, it's it's clever. He's slowing it's, the ball down. Yep, 100%. Uh, who else and stood out to it, you? So I just want to quickly right. say as well, before we move off that point, that Ian Foster's actually come out and, then, and said publicly in the media that he thinks that the All Blacks were unfairly targeted by the Wallabies and that they riled them oh, up. And it's like, oh, win. come on. You are the Jeez. most renowned team in world rugby for doing this. One team actually yep. matches you for that and you're having a whinge. Yeah, I want to talk about Foster's whinges when we get to question number four. So uh, uh, cool. let's keep okay, on rolling. Good. No, I didn't, good. Uh, who else stood out to you then? Uh, Lockie Swinson. He, he was mm. only on the field for 36 minutes, but he had an impact and he was making some massive hits. Yep. He's just yeah. Yep. Defensively, he was he was out there to damage the All Blacks, and he did that. It w- it really went to show that Dave Rennie said to him before the game, just line up anyone in black and smash them. 
because he did ev- he did that. He hit everyone. He hit Barrett. He hit um, Surveyor. Akira Yuani. Yeah, yeah, Perinara. He didn't care who it was. He just absolutely creamed them. And um, that that was the performance of a six that we've that Rennie's been looking for. We were sort of asking ourselves prior to this week that he keeps changing certain positions around, and he's lo- obviously looking for something, but he's not seeing it. The number eight's also another position, although. You could you could say that Harry Wilson sort of cemented that over the last two weeks, but um, yeah, number six is a position we've had a few changes now, and I think Lockie Swinton played the game tonight or this week that Dave Rennie was looking physical, Agreed. aggressive, um, and clinical. Uh, you would I guess you would say that his uh, red card was um, a little silly, and we'll get to that in the next point. But apart from that, he was he was on point. Most of his tackles were low. Um, and he yep. was doing he was doing really well. Yeah, and I think when you have a player like him, they play on the edge, and there are going to be times where it goes too far. But you need that enforcer. He's yep. still young. He's still hot headed. He's somebody that needs the experience, and this will be a formative moment for him, where you could see the disappointment on his face and oh, the he heartbreak snapped, he? as he as he was walking off the field. Yeah. By the way, just a quick point. I love rugby and the fact that you have Ofatunga Fasi and Lockie Swinton both get red carded in incredibly important games early on in the match. And they just, when they see the red card, they're told why they just turn and walk away and walk off and they don't swear they don't yell at the ref or anything like that they just walk away and you can see the heartbreak and the pain on their face and you feel for them but there's also the respect of going that yes you're copying it there's there's a lot to like about that um are you referencing the round ball game at all there andy i would never reference actually yes i definitely am um (laughs) the other thing about swinton i thought was interesting is i was a bit concerned that he's not a particularly good line out target yeah he's a big guy but uh, one of the things I noticed I was that for Wright's first try, when the ball is brought down from the line out to White to then pass it out to uh, Hodge for the chip kick, it's actually Swinton at the front of the line out that gets the ball. And he goes up and he's got Sam Whitelock competing with him, but he gets up in front of Whitelock and yeah. goes down. And so that just immediately made me go, okay, cool. He can do that role as well. Because I mean, Hannigan as six, why is Hannigan in the team? One, he's got good work rate. Two, he's He's a decent frame. No, I'm pretty sure it's those flowing. I'm pretty sure it's those flowing locks. Oh, it's cool. Um, <laughs> but it just showed that there is this element to uh, Swinton's game as well, which is really positive. Yeah, so- exactly. And he, there was a number of times that he won key lineouts. He was he shored up our lineout this game, and he made it more reliable. I think we we lost one throw against the feed. Um, there was a little bit of a noticeable dip when he went off as well, but that was something that I didn't particularly attribute to him from his Waratahs uh, game this year, Super Rugby AU form, that he was efficient in the lineout. I guess that probably goes down to Rob Simmons being the kind of lineout driver for the Tars. But in saying that, Rob Simmons was playing for the Wallabies today, this week as well. So I just, I noticed a few times that Swinton was doing really well in the lineout and getting those clean balls. Good to see. Yep. Um, the other player that I thought needs a mention is obviously Taniela Tupo. His oh. beast mode performance at the end. I mean, his his try, that is one of the best sequences from a front row yeah. forward in rugby. He just has two gargantuan runs in tight. It's not like he's swanning it out wide and brushes off like a five foot ten back or something like that. He's he's going into contact against the other. He runs over forward. Sam Whitelock. 
Yeah, which is insane. Um, bumps him off, makes huge meters in two, con like not consecutive, but within the space of about five phases, he's involved with three of them, three of the runs, the and runs. then the third one is his try. Yeah. It's, he was just incredible. And I think that it's just cementing he is our impact player. That's what he I've been saying all year. somebody that we bring off the bench, 35, 40 minutes year. or something like that. <coughs> yeah, bring him off the bench, to, uh, not 35, 40, maybe 30, 35 minutes remaining in the game yeah. and let 55. him just absolutely cut loose and yeah. rely on Alatoa for the, for the stability and the consistency of his game to get you through because Alatoa is a good player, but he doesn't have the explosiveness that Tupo brings. Oh, exactly. And I just, I, um, yeah, I've, I've said it all year. So I will, I will take that. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to say, I was watching the, the game this week with some mates who aren't sports fans and aren't rugby fans. And so I was spending a lot of the time explaining the rules to them, which was fun. But uh, one of the, one of the guys said sort of early in the second half, as he had watched the first half and was getting a little bit more familiar with things, he goes, what I don't understand is why don't they just get one of those big blokes? It's in the front of that like mall of people there and i was like the scrum yep that one just like line him up and just get him to run over anyone and i was like well they do that and he's like well yep. i haven't seen it and then tupo came on i said watch to watch this guy because he'll do it next minute he runs straight over the top of white lock and makes about five meters i was like see that guy does it <laughs> and then he scored a few minutes yep. later yep. yeah it's because he's just got the power that his legs, I'm pretty sure one thigh is bigger than my waist. Yeah, oh, easily. Uh, it's, he's huge. Oh, it's, he's gigantuan. Okay, um, that's enough fanboying about the thighs of Taniela Tupo. We could be uh, here all night. We could be we here. We could night. be here. I, I want to, um, are we moving over to bad? Because I wanted to quickly say that Marika Korobetti was amazing. Yeah, Tom Wright as well yeah. on his debut, scoring a try with the first touch in international rugby. That's a fairy tale. Yeah, there's worse things you could do, like drop it. <laughs> uh, like have Nolesio's first game in Get Gold, a yellow but... card. Um, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, no, I was really impressed with... We'll go with Tom Wright first, but yeah, I was really impressed with him. Um, I don't remember him... Obviously, he's had a good year for the Brumbies this year. I don't remember watching him and thinking that he was an outstanding winger. Uh, he did the basics okay for me. I don't, I don't recall him being an out-and-out -out amazing player, but this performance this week was just next level he was brilliant yep. yep and he was showing more composure than dungunu has showed all year um but i i still think dungunu is probably a little bit more talented in just like the skill set he can he can make pull things out of nowhere but um yeah tom wright just looked he just looked set and ready and and he looked like he need, deserves to be out there he looked fast and that's a simple thing. He just looked fast. Like Dungunu has a strength and speed once he gets up to it. But I just loved the speed that Tom Wright showed to be able to try and burn around the outside of the defensive line. It was it was just a really strong performance. How good was that burn around the outside of um was it Sevi Reese that he gets outside or Leonard Brown? So, yeah. Um and he he does that little offload that's only just inches in front of White's fingertips who dives forward to try and get it. Yeah. Like if that had come off, how good would that play have been? Yeah. And that was all that was all Tom Wright. Um, well, I think a lot of this was um comes down from his rugby league background. So again, there was a few times where we've probably seen a an out and out winger or rugby union winger would probably take a, a soft option and kick it. Whereas he tucked the ball under the arm and ran it and stepped around four blokes and, and made good meters. So I think that is starting to show dividends as well. His rugby league background. Or a Betty talk about him. Brilliant. Where do I start? Oh, just did not stop. 
I think this has been the game that we've expected him from him all year, and he just hasn't been quite up to it for whatever reason. Uh, and this, he didn't seem to put a foot wrong. You could say the yellow card was that, <laughs> but I think that was harsh. Not not that harsh to cop the penalty. It wasn't his out and out yellow card. It was a team yellow card. So uh, yeah, you correct. could tell you could tell that he was upset when he stood up because normally he's such a quiet bloke. He doesn't say anything. And the ref's gone, you're off your feet. You kept going at the ball, yellow card. And he's just gone. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. And the thing that the thing that annoys me about that actually is I I'm a bit of the opinion that it's a over officiated yellow card. Yeah. Like it, it, not yellow card. If it's a penalty, it deserves to be a yellow card because there was a team warning. Okay, yeah. cool. Yes. Um, but if you look back at it, there's four Wallabies players there in that ruck. He's had his hands on the ball. He's pulling it up and it's obvious the Kiwi player on the ground is freaking holding on, right? Yeah. But the problem is as the other Wallabies players come in behind, they like bump him forward. And so as he's getting the ball, he gets pushed forward. And so he's resting on his arms as he has the ball. And then he stands up and pulls it up with him. And then Berry blows the whistle because he's been, he's had his hands on the ground whilst playing at the ball. The thing is, he had the ball to begin with, um, but the ball was being held in. So look, it was, in my mind, harsh for the penalty to be, to be blown. But as soon as the penalty was blown, it was. Yeah, exactly. um, so it's one of those frustrating things but why don't we keep on going because we've been going for a while and we still have a fair bit to get through so yeah we kind of need to keep moving. yeah yeah so uh maybe one bad each and then we'll move into question three i just wanted to quickly say tom banks um i have not been a i've not been kind to tom banks this year i don't really think that he's a great fullback but this game show proved me wrong he yeah, did cool. very well this week and I was really impressed with him. So I think I'm starting to see what people are saying that he's capable of. I just hadn't seen it yet. So he, yep. he, he did well. Um, I'm going to start with bad and my my number one bad is TJ Perinara. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess this was kind of to be expected considering that he's probably been the number, well, he has been the number two start number two like the replacement nine for the All Blacks for the last few years all through the World Cup last year and now into this year. I don't, rem- I don't recall the last time he actually started a test. So he's always had that, um, the sort of 25 to 35 minutes of game time. And he just comes on and sort of does his thing. And most of the time, the game's already won by that point. So he doesn't <laughs> sort of have the game in the in the balance. But he was one player this week who lost his cool. Yep, he he was gone. really rattled. And we mentioned before about Nick White. And that's pr- a lot of that is probably because he had Nick White just yapping at him the whole game as well. But he made simple errors. And it was clearly over overawed by the occasion. There was one point in the second half where they get a penalty and he does the worst possible option. He takes a quick tap, takes four steps forward and boots it out about five meters down, about um, 15, 20 meters downfield. Now, if you were going to kick it out, why'd you take the quick tap? You've just given away advantage. You don't get the yep. line out. You should have just taken yep. a, the, the line out option. It's just simple things like that where he just, and then after he did it, he sort of stopped and realized that he'd made a big mistake. And there was a few times where that happened where he did something rash and then sort of caught himself and you could see he was going to sort of think things through a bit. Yep. Yeah, I think my player who didn't impress me was um, Scotty Barrett, particularly just through the stupidity of his (laughs) yellow card. Um, He, so for those, I mean, everybody should have seen it, but it was a professional foul. He's lying on the ground, knocks the ball out of Nick White's hand as he goes to pass it. And 
in this day and age, like if you're playing club rugby, yeah, okay, go for it. The ref probably won't say. But <laughs> if in international rugby, the amount of cameras that are out there, that's going to get seen. And the reason why Barry caught it was because it got put on the stadium screen and the whole crowd is going, Aah! and Hooper runs up and goes, look, look. Um, so it's just dumb. And he's meant to be smarter than that. He's meant to be a better player than well, that. Well, he's a Barrett. And he is. He is one of the esteemed uh, family line of the Barretts. And you can't just be a Barrett. You, like, you can't just be an average rugby player when you're a Barrett. You have to be a world breaker. <laughs> exactly. And he just needs to cut out a stupidity from his game because yeah. he's such a good player. He doesn't need to do that. And it, it just damaged the All Blacks having another uh, player off the field. Well, so... that, was, that was that sort of... <laughs> That uh, ties into my uh, opinion that the All Blacks were just overawed and, and frustrated and, and panic in this game. They were making silly mistakes like that. That is a very uncharacteristic All Black thing to do. Normally, yep. they're so composed. So, like, they will do things illegally in the breakdown, but it's never that obvious. <laughs> yep. We put on 10 points whilst he was in the bin. Yep. So, well done. Thank you, Scott Barrett. Do it again uh now i think we should basically move on yeah uh, why don't we why don't we talk about the cards because okay. we've kind of touched on them a little bit already uh, i kind of don't want to dwell on this for too long but one of our listeners uh put the question out there to us so let me just get the question this is from for liquor box look at box look at box there we go yeah on twitter yeah. liquor box uh can the wallabies beat the all blacks when it's 15 on 15 so that's the starting point and we had another question as well where was it um our question was did the red cards ruin the game so yeah. can we beat them when it's 15 on 15 well yeah yeah we can but we haven't done uh, it we haven't done it in a while because what perth they lost scott barrett to a red yeah. card didn't they yeah. um yeah so in the last year or two it's basically just been that. But when's um, the last time but, we beat them before that? That's the thing. It goes back away. Is it 2017? I'll look it up now. I'll get the stats up for us now whilst you're talking. Oh, you're throwing it to me. Okay. In my yeah. opinion, did the red cards ruin the game? No, no, they did not. Um, and I say that in, in it's, it's a tough one to say because the red cards definitely affected the All Blacks. And they've, this is the second time now that they've, they've copped a red card fairly early on in a game and it's really thrown them off track. And it's allowed the opposition to beat up, beat them. So they copped that red card into last year, Scott Barrett over in Perth, and we went on to win the game. If that was the only red card, then you could probably argue that maybe it was unfair that the All Blacks didn't, you know, they were down a man, all those kind of things. But then we lost a we lost Lockie Swinton six minutes later. So in those six minutes, we didn't score any points. We weren't we were we had the overlap, we had the extra man, but we didn't actually use it to, to get any points um so it, it fared up and it got to 13 all. it got to 14 all and then it, the points was down to 13 but no i wouldn't say that it ruined the game because i thought it was quite a good spectacle yeah i um i don't think it ruined the game although i need it to be said that my wife came running into the room after swinton's card because um i was watching it in the office and i grabbed the computer oh, no. chair the office desk next to me which is shaking it in anger just going damn it because i was just <laughs> so frustrated not with the fact that it was a red card because like when I cooled down, I agreed, yeah, okay, it's a red card. But I was just so angry that it had been, it had happened because it was just ruining the opportunity we had to just really put them to the sword. Um, at the time, I had the opinion that I, I, I don't see how somebody that's the height of Sam Whitelock can't duck into a tackle. Like, 
can't 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 not duck into a tackle to get hit on the chin. He's like six yeah. foot eight. Um, I don't know how he's not ducking in. And I thought, in my totally biased opinion, yeah, that you were, he had you were sending some texts to the tackle. There was some text, way and I was like, there oh, was really? some okay. colourful language that was being used, but I was very opinionated. And now that I've watched it again, I'm like, okay, it's right. No, I just want um, to quickly say in regards <coughs> to that, and that was one thing that you said to me, that there's no, there's no, he, he ducks into that. But what the referee is looking for is a significant duck. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which is where he's standing up and he's probably slipped and fallen into the tackle and it's low. The fact mm-hmm. is that Swinton was standing up upright going Correct. into the tackle yep. so if yep. white lock had slipped further it would have been worse mm. um yeah i just want to quickly say around this whole thing red cards this was probably the best option uh, the best scenario for the wallabies to get a red card in because the yep. all blacks already had one so when this <laughs> happened i wasn't actually that upset i was upset for swinton because i know he's better than that and it was tough call but it was a red there's no way about it he hit him on the chin it was exactly the same thing. There was going to be no other option. Correct. Yeah. Something similar. Yeah. The red, the ref's already given a red. He can't then give you a yellow for the same thing. He has to go with the same. He needs to be consistent. So when it happened, I was like, oh, look, it's unfortunate, but it's 14 on 14 now. And you know what? Even the yellow cards, there were, I, I disagree with Corobetti's penalty, although as soon as it gets called, that is a yellow card because yeah. of the team warning. Uh, you can't argue with Barrett's yellow card at all. It's a professional fan, so that's fine. Um, I I personally think we move on because I, I just wanted to say, just talking about yeah, the I, cards. Yeah, definitely. I just want to say one other thing um, yeah, sure. around the scuffle that happens a little, a few seconds or maybe a minute after um, the All Blacks get their yellow, their red card. Mm. I'm deliberately not saying his name because I know I'm going to get it wrong. Yep. Uh, of uh, Tunga Fasi. Yeah, yeah. There yep. Yep. So uh, the Slipper and Sam Kane incident. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I think there should be more of a penalty handed out to a scuffle like that when the captain's in, because okay. you, you are the leader of the team. You are the communicator. You're the one that's supposed to uh, f- communicate with the referee and keep a level head. If you're the yep. one that's starting a brawl like that. And particularly yeah. one that was as bad as that, if you slow that down, there is a few fists thrown. Now it's a bit slappy here and Or there. at least heavy heavy slaps, one might call Yeah, heavy, heavy slaps, right? But they're also <laughs> aimed at the head. But you're the captain of the team. You can't yeah. be doing that. And he started it. I understand in, that Slipper... In Sam Kane's defense, Slipper almost has a swinging arm coming in his mouth. Like I watched it. I saw it when they were showing the replay of the scuffle as it breaks out. And I'm like oh crap, they could potentially see that as a swinging arm to the head of a player on the ground in Iraq. But you're the captain. You can't get up and start a fight over it. Oh, That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like yeah, if you do that, if you do that, if you get up and as he did and just lose it like that, I think there yeah. should be consequences. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Because sure. you should be better than that as a captain of a team. You don't see Hooper do that ever. That's one thing that <laughs> will say is a good thing about him being a captain. He just doesn't seem to lose his head ever. He's never in fights. He never starts them. Hugh Tyndall's asks, uh, do, do we think that, well, basically, I'll, ask, I'll say it directly. I know it's obvious, but have you guys had a run at the card situation, card situation before? How to protect the player but not ruin a contest? Some people now are talking about an orange card or the like. I So an orange card, the way that people are often talking about it is a player is sent off for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but then after that, the player can be replaced but the original player who receives the orange card cannot be replaced. Um, I personally, 
I'm kind of okay with it as it mm. I think people just need to get over the whinge about red cards yep. and accept that it's the responsibility of the players to be tackling lower. Yep. Uh, some of the key examples of players who are incredibly good at that is Sam Underhill in England. He is yeah, the, um, he plays six or seven, so he's back row. And he's just a defensive, he, he cuts people down and destroys them. He's like David Pocock in the ruck, but just in defensive tackles, yeah. if that makes sense. Like he's as good at defensive tackles like as David Tafer used to be. at rucks. Yeah, yeah. Except um, Underhill gets people more around the yeah. waist than yeah, around like the you're not knees a grass cutter. Yeah, yeah, knock himself out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think people just players are getting it. Players are definitely getting it. They need to keep their body height lower. But there's always going to be a risk in rugby, and I I just think you accept it because the protection of the player is paramount mm. and we don't want situations where players are unnecessarily getting head knocks, yeah. which will come back and have serious repercussions in later life. You see that way too much in NFL. You see that way too much in NRL. And whilst rugby undoubtedly is a game that has risk, it's a brutal contact sport. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a simple way to make it safer. And I, I was seeing some comments pointing towards research where red cards immediate significant consequences are the most effective deterrent for players to learn the right behavior i didn't read the research but i've seen it said so i need to follow that up (laughs) but it's just an interesting one to look at and go i personally think keep a red card as it is no need to bring in anything different players will continue to adjust and if you get red carded too bad tackle lower yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think the idea of having a red card is that you're deterring an action. So it's Correct. the worst possible outcome because you lo- your team loses a player for the rest of the game. If we bring in the option of this orange card or what Super Rugby AU tried to do this year, but it never actually happened, thankfully, um, that you can bring up on a replacement after 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I can't remember what the time limit was. Uh, what's the deterrent there? Yes, you don't get to come back on, but your team still like gets to replace you. Yeah. Uh, I think the the idea is player welfare is paramount, as you said, first and foremost, and we need to come down harsh on it now to, to change the, the thought process of the players. So Lockie Swinton knows that he's gone high in that contact. He has every ability, every option to go low. He yep. stood up into the contact. It's poor tackle. Yep. Tech. It's a down and up action. Exactly. He needs to suffer the consequences for that. He, so that he knows in his head going forward, oh, I'm too high, I could potentially ri- cop that risk again, I'm going to go low. And he probably will from now on because he's learned that lesson. But if we don't have that lesson there, we're not going to learn it. Shall we move on? We shall. So, Ando, I'm going to ask you this one. Does this put the pressure back on Ian Foster as All Blacks coach? Um, well, his win. No. I Realistically, I don't think it does. Why? Because the Kiwis have won the Bledisloe Cup. So they've, <sighs> they've won the Cup to... Uh, two wins, one loss, and a draw. Soft. Go now, on, have a crack. Think... Have a crack. <laughs> now, to start with that, we need to just be really clear. New Zealand have won the Bledisloe. Congratulations. Ian Foster has obviously guided them towards that, so that's well done. Genuinely, I mean that. The The issue that I have is that Foster seems to be showing a level of... Um, immaturity. Sensi- immaturity or sensitivity. Yeah. 
or like a lack of experience being in front of a camera in post-match situations. So you watch the post-match commentary or post-match interview with the coaches um, and the, the same reporter, I couldn't recognize the voice of the reporter that's asking the question, but he basically asked the question of like, did the red cards ruin a game? So he's obviously trying to get an angle here from the coaches. And I watched Dave Rennie's first and Dave Rennie's like, well, no, we just need to accept that if you tackle high, that's going to happen. They were both fair according to the laws of the game. And the reporter pushes and is like, oh, what would you do to change the laws? And he's like, well, we just need to tackle lower. And that, he, that was basically it. Then he shut up. He did that thing where Rennie answers a question really succinctly and yeah. it just stops talking. To, and then it's like, to, I'm not going to give you question. anything. Yeah, just to get yeah, on the Yeah, correct. But Ian Foster goes, well, uh, we're going to have to go back and review the footage before I can comment on that, which immediately puts, and he says it a few more times, and that just puts that implication of, they think that there was some level of unfairness mm. within a process or an incorrect decision has been made, which they now want to go back over and pour over the reviews. Like, no, accept that it's happened and accept that your players have a responsibility to be tackling within the framework and just deal with it. But he also, his commentary after the game too, in regards to Australian players playing dirty, I'm just like, fire out. New Zealand are the worst at that. Like, do you remember those in, at right at the end of the first half where Australia's defending on a line against a series of lineouts, right? Yeah. And we get penalized two or three times, twice actually, for hitting early oh, when the jumper is coming down. Me. Okay. The first one is legit. Yes, we, we mistimed it and we went in early. But the second time, watch it again. Yeah. They bring a white lock down slowly. They hold him up. So they, they hold him up in the air and bring him down slowly. And so the players have timed it for if he's getting dropped normally. And that's why they undercut him. And that's why the second penalty happens. And that's why we get that team warning that gets Karabidi sent off in the following play. Yeah. And there's just these little elements of play that the Kiwis do that are some people will call it smart. Some people will call it dirty. And so I just see, think it's the height of hypocrisy for Ian Foster to put that out there that Australian players are playing dirty when the Kiwis are renowned for their gamesmanship and he's just got to suck it up. And I think <laughs> the fact that he's, he's just having these little moments that make him go, hmm, if I was a Kiwi fan... I'm not sure how much confidence I would have in you at this point. It's back. It's back. It's like us back having Checker. How he yeah. had his little rants in the post match. Yeah. And it's not as bad as Checker. Don't get me yeah, wrong. It's, it's not. not as bad. But there's just elements where I'm like, oh, okay. I think Rennie's winning the PR war here. Yeah. And okay. So what's your thoughts? I've just had my little rant. Yeah. You have had a thoughts? rant. No, it's good. Um, I, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It is. There's pressure on him. If you look, it's, we've played four games now and he's won two of them. And he's played two of those on on New Zealand soil and two of those on Australian soil. He lost one and he drew one. The All Blacks were always going to win at Eden Park. That's too big yep. an ask. No one in world rugby could have beaten them there. So that was a given. That was probably more down to the players than it was down to coaching. Last week, I would say that the Wallabies lost that because we lost our, our two most experienced 10 and 12 yeah, combination. Yep. We had all these young blokes. No one in that, no one in world rugby in those circumstances were going to win that game. Even the All Blacks, if they were in that circumstance, would probably have lost. We go to this week, they lost, they didn't have Moanga at 10. We brought Barrett in, and I didn't think Barrett was amazing. Um, and they lost. So, yeah, I definitely think the pressure's on. I think there's question marks over their wins in this in this series. 
And there's even bigger question marks over the draws and the loss. Now, yep. the, the game that Australia lost in Sydney, we didn't play to our game plan. The, the other three games, and probably game two, to a lesser degree, we played worse. Like we didn't stick to our... We, that's where we started to become undone in game two in Eden Park. We weren't kicking as much. We weren't putting the All Blacks under pressure. We were kicking aimlessly and we weren't uh, we weren't chasing. We weren't putting that pressure on them. Now, game one and game four, we did that and we pay, it paid for us. So yeah. I, I really do think that the Wallabies are on the upward trajectory again and the All Blacks are starting to sort of decline a little bit. This isn't a good enough result for New Zealand. This team needs to be performing much better than they currently are. So I definitely think it puts pressure back on um, Ian Foster and, and in your little rant, you were just saying how he's starting to show his hand a little bit and, and say things to the media that he shouldn't. And I think that's probably the pressure starting to build and the cracks starting to show for him. Yep. The, the New Zealand media are not being kind to him at all. So from no. their end, there is a lot of pressure on Foster. There was actually in saying this, there was a great article I saw just before we started the, I didn't read the article, but there was a great headline saying that Ian Foster is a semi-final coach. Is he the right man to be leading the All Blacks through to the 2023 World Cup? From New Zealand. And I was like, wow, that's well, that's tough. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm keen to see how we go next year, get a full year of preparation under our belts and, and really go for it. Um, yeah, I, I do think this puts a lot of pressure back on on Foster. Yes, they they won the Bledisloe, but in a four-game series, it's pretty hard to beat them. The best odds yeah. were probably gonna be last year when we played them twice, but obviously we didn't have Dave Rennie then. So yeah, I, I still think there's big, big question marks over Ian Foster as the as the All Blacks coach at the moment. Why don't we shift to our final part of the pod, which is our discussion around the upcoming Argentina game. So this match is going to be played in two weekends uh, at Newcastle, if in I'm Newcastle. correct. That's correct. Yeah. That is correct. So why don't we just talk now? We had a couple of other questions, which I kind of just want to bundle together a yeah. little bit. Before uh, most we of the talk questions we've left have, uh, have something to do with either the New Zealand game or moving forward. So yeah. Yeah, so Mark Landman on Instagram was saying, was it a good idea starting all the youngsters in Sydney from a long-term perspective and can the Wallabies improve from their win? Uh, I think you've just spoken about that a bit and we'll speak more about it in regards to Argentina. We also have um, Lickerbox. Is attacking flair important? We just won with Hodge and Paisami at 10 and 12. They're hardly the most flamboyant players and would they fit the way previous coaches attempted to play? Hardly flamboyant. Uh, Did you see that opening try? That was... That was... Nice. It was interesting. It's flamboyant a within a there. highly coached structure, you know, like yeah. it. Anyway, anyway, it's uh, like Caleb Clark, <laughs> Mitch Evans, which players should we see brought back for the Argentinian test matches? And are there any players we haven't seen play yet that deserve a crack? Oh, I and... misread this earlier. I thought he was asking us which players for the Argentinians, Argentina side. No, thank and God. I, I don't want to like, talk about the Argentinians. I have so no I... idea. Why is he asking us? <laughs> no, good question. Uh, how to, and then Hugh Tyndall's also asking also, what does Rennie do for Argentina blood players or play the A team? And then lastly, Marcus Williams, do we need change at nine? Reese Hodge at 10 question mark. Who is our long-term option at six question mark? I think we're going to be addressing all those as we talk through the team for uh, the next game. So hopefully we're going to touch on all of those points. I just kind of want to start with the idea of blooding the youngsters in Sydney. Um, you saw Alessio have a performance in the last 25 minutes of the game that was far more confident and yeah, assured yeah. than his initial performance. And I think he's gone through a baptism of fire 
there's going to be, I reckon, some mental scars from that. Oh, but definitely. he his game this week showed a lot more composure and showed growth from that first performance. So I oh, think- and you can show when he kicked that ball out, like he that felt good for him. You could see it. Yeah, the first person that goes up to Corabetti after Corabetti does that missile tackle on McKenzie, and then Jordy Barrett yeah. was Lalesio, and they just smash into each other and uh, certain something yeah comments were thrown up into the air by um noel alessio it was he he cared he was on fire for it so i think what we're seeing is um dave rennie is looking to give it players experience but also fit the puzzle that he's yeah and i think we saw for example swinton yeah solve the puzzle and um i think swinton is a piece that has solved the puzzle but he's going to be out for a while now because of that red card and so we might even see someone like maybe maybe isinasarani brought in at eight and then Wilson moved to six potentially because we haven't seen Izzy within this new setup and it wouldn't surprise me if they give him a run in one of the Argentinian games because why would you bring him if you're not going at all well and Australia he brings a physicality yeah. yeah um I just think he brings a physicality that is much um I'd also like to see Reese uh sorry I'd also like to see Pete Samu give it another yeah, shot that's what I was about to say I think yep. Samu deserves to have another shot. He's had one test and then he was cut. So, yep. uh, I mean, it, Harry Wilson's been very good, but this is also the time for us to rest some of those guys. Like he's had a big year. He's played all of our tests now. So, yep. and all of the, uh, all of Super Rugby AU. So he probably deserves a break. I would like to see Pete Samu come on and probably start at six. Yeah, I think that would make sense. Um, the other thing, like, I don't think we changed Nick White at nine. I think we're lacking too much experience across the team that we need him to be there. But I do have no, I don't have an issue with him going off at like the 50th minute of the game. And I so the replacement nine is given that. a bit more time. I disagree with that. I think this is the perfect chance for us to um, get some experience under Tate McDermott's, um, for Tate McDermott. I would be starting Tate. And I, uh, I would start Tate only if James O'Connor or James O'Connor's back. James O'Connor has to be back at 10 or even Reese Hodge potentially. Nah, if- no, not Reese Hodge. He doesn't have the passing game. White has to be there if you have Hodge. Okay. Well, I'm, mind, I'm, talking more of an, I'm talking more from an experience point of view. I still think we'll get through mm-hmm. against Argentina with his passing game as it is. Maybe not the All Blacks, maybe not South Africa, but Argentina, we can probably scrape by. I think that Tate McDermott will be our number nine long-term. I don't see I don't see uh, Nick White sticking it out through past the next World Cup. I don't even know if he'll get to the next World Cup. I think he, he's quite he's getting older now. He's played a lot of rugby. I think we might see in the next season or two that he might start picking up injuries and have some time off. So I think Tate McDermott needs to be our, our starting nine for the next few years, and this is the perfect time to get him to start and to get some experience against Argentina and look to the future. And then you keep, you've still got White, so you put him on the bench. And if it doesn't work in that first test, then you swap him in the 40th or 50th minute. But I still yeah, think see, I'd be, yeah, okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I just think that we need to have upwards momentum by making sure that we win the first game definitely against Argentina. And well, I, don't I would think be putting the strongest team possible. Yeah, I don't think Tate McDermott's that bad a player that he's going to lose us the game. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think that White, offers more experience control and can settle the team in a way that McDermott doesn't at this point in time. Um, I think that McDermott as an impact player for 30 
30 or so minutes at the match would be fantastic. But anyway, let's move on from our discussion of nine. Uh, Reese Hodge at 10 or James O'Connor at 10? Or Will Harrison or Noel Alessio? If James O'Connor's fit, I'd be sticking with him at 10 and then bring Alessio off the bench. Although I would also like to see Will Harrison have a crack as well to get an official test. Um, We've seen what Noel Alessio can do. Maybe we start James O'Connor and we bring on Will Harrison to see how he goes for the last 20, 30 minutes and uh, give him that experience. And that would be a good sort of test between the two. Yeah, sure. I um I was loving the coaching that James O'Connor was providing to Noel Alessio. So after the game last week when he saw them in the changing rooms, it was um well it was James O'Connor that was just sitting next to or with Noel Alessio, just coaching him, talking to him. Like I don't you obviously we obviously don't know exactly what he was saying, but just obviously his arm around just going, mate, it's gonna be okay. These things happen. This is what you gotta do. And right before he went onto the field, well, let's say he went onto the field in the weekend's match, it was James O'Connor in his ear for about a minute before he went on, just obviously preparing him, talking him through, uh, giving him that benefit of experience that he mm. can bring. So uh, I love the mentoring and the coaching role that James Yeah, that's O'Connor's brilliant. It's good to see, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it's very good to see. Um, I think James O'Connor at 10. I'm even going to throw this out there. So I think we actually need Reese Hodge in the field because of his exit kicks particularly and his penalty taking. And I think we put him at 15. I He's a decent defender. He's very strong in, very strong in his runs. I actually see him as a good 15 option. And he's not bad under the high ball either. So whilst Banks was good... I, I would consider if we need Reese Hodge in the field, you're not going to take Paisami or Pattaya off unless unless Pattaya's injured. Um, and there is talk that he, he is injured. Yeah, he did he did hobble off the field, and that's why Walesio came on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I just am liking Hodge. He had a really good game on the weekend, so I'm not sure he deserves to be out of the team. Yeah, no, I think we need him as well. I just don't know where you slot him in. Mm. But 15 is a good option. I'd say yeah. I I'd like to see that. Yeah. Uh, who who do you rate is our long term option at six? Um, I think Swinton. I think he's shown enough to be that option. Yeah, I mean, I feel I really I really feel for Pete Samu. I think he's a very good player. There's been a bit of talk this week that, uh, or just there's been a bit of talk for the last few weeks that the reason Pete Samu is not firing is because he's being coached. Diff- he's being told to do different things than he's naturally been playing for the Brumbies. So he's been yeah, told okay. to attack in different ways and to defend in different ways. And he didn't do, he, he's been playing, essentially been playing out of position as a six or an eight. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him have a crack at his, at his position and, and let him just do what he does best. Like be that pilfer player, be on the ball where I think he's been told to sort of play out wide a little bit more um, because I think he's, he's good. He's a good option. And I just, I feel really bad for him that he's kind of had a, had a shot under checker missed out had a shotgun shot under any also missed out so so if we kind of bring this thing to a close because i've looked at the time and gone holy crap we've been recording for a very long time um we if you think about how dave rennie is going to compose the team do you think he's going to try to inject more youthful faces to give them a run and some experience or recognizing the challenges that Australian rugby has had over the last 12 months, does he basically have to win these next two games? And so he's going to play the best possible team that he can. Yeah. Look, I mean, Rennie's there's two things, the other two ways it goes and you're right in both of those, 
He'll either want to win the Tri-Nations and to have it a fair crack, we need our best team because we need to win each game with a bonus point and hope that New Zealand can somehow not win a game without a bonus point for us to win it. I think we're capable of doing that. I don't know if New Zealand are capable of losing without, of not winning without a bonus point. But um, yeah, I, I think he's probably at the point now where he cares more about trying to get experience into his side and find that best combination than winning the Tri-Nations at the moment. So I think we'll probably see a few players rotated around, new players come in, testing in positions and things, trying new combinations, trying new and stuff in these last two games of the year and then have a real crack at things next year. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm hoping, I'm expecting, you know what? We didn't expect a lot of the changes that he made for the team last week or this weekend. Um, so I'm going to say what I'm about to say, knowing that I'm probably going to be wrong because Dave Rennie is his own man and has a very strong idea of what he wants to do. But I, if I was doing it, I'd be looking to have a very strong starting 15 and then to be bringing some new blood in. Yep. So keeping Angus Bell on the bench, who had a really good run yeah, he um, did. as an opportunity for him to be getting more experience. He showed more in his game than um, Scotty Sio has in the last couple. So keep him on the bench. Uh, I think you, my, my big change would be actually bringing Trevor Hosea into the starting 15 as a starting lock alongside Matt Phillips. Yeah, That's Simmons. with the assumption. Yeah. Well, put Simmons on a bench or take him off and have um, Hannigan be the reserve lock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's making the assumption that Salakai Loto is still injured. Uh, also, I think that we're going to have a pretty significant backline reshuffle. I wouldn't be surprised to see Nicerani or Samu in the mix and Wilson given a rest. Um, not because he hasn't been performing, but like you mentioned earlier, he's had a lot of backline wise. I don't think there's going to be huge changes, except the 15 jersey is going to be a really interesting. Do you think that he will rest, uh, Hooper? Probably not because he needs the players with experience to help guide yeah. the team. Um, if we win the first game against Argentina, he might get rested for the second. If That's we lose the first game. Test for a while. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that really matters. He's got his hundred caps. So yeah. it's not like it's a landmark occasion for him. Yeah. Um, and he's coming back. It's not like we're losing him forever. Um, it'll just be his last uh, game on Australian soil for a long time. He'll be back for the next international window. So, yeah, look, that's a long-winded way of saying I think there'll be a mixture, but I see changes in the locking department and the back row and fullback position. Um, and a lot of it just depends on injury recoveries to decide whether those changes will happen. Yeah, look, I'm not really at a position just yet to name the, to say what's going to happen because we're at, a, at the end now of a very long year of rugby. We've had a break at the beginning for COVID, but we've got to remember that these guys started the super rugby, the normal super rugby competition in January this year, the earliest it's ever been. And we're still playing rugby with what did we have a month and a half or about six weeks yep. off of no rugby. Yep. But apart from that, we've been playing now into November. So it's been a long season. We've got a week off now. I think there may be some players who will be named or will potentially get injured in this next two weeks before the, the thing comes forward, uh, before the, the full team gets named. So I'm not ready to name my full team yet i hope james o'connor is going to be back but who knows i thought he'd be ready for this week and he wasn't so um i'm gonna leave it until next week yeah fair enough to see what um, happened i predict that argentina 
This is not a particularly insightful comment. I think they'll probably just run out of puff at about 60 minutes into the game. And there's going to be issues with their accuracy in set piece plays, but they will have a level of enthusiasm and flair with their, particularly their offloading game. If they get their offloading game going, we're going to struggle. Um, I expect them to bring a lot of high intensity, high tempo, but then to trail off at the end of the game. And we just need to be patient and defensively strong and connected for the first part and then to counter punch when we get the opportunity. I mean, I, I watched a, a fair bit of the Australia A games, the two games they played over the last few weeks. And um, I was actually surprised. The first game, the first half was sloppy by Argentina, but they came back well in the second half. And this last game, they played really well. So I actually think yep. Argentina will be better than people are expecting. They're not going to beat the All Blacks this week. That No one's going to beat them. Um, but I think they'll push us and they'll do better than people are probably expecting them to do. It's, it's a big pride yep. thing too. So um yeah i still think australia will win but i don't think i think it'll be tight cool should we finish it there mate it's been a long one it has been a long one yeah yep yeah well look thank you everybody for getting to this part of the pod uh we we do have the tendency to just wax lyrical especially when australia wins i think you'll notice our pods are a bit shorter when we lose but (laughs) that's okay um so thank you everybody for getting to this point thank you again for everybody that contributed as listeners to the questions i think we got through most of them um so apologies if we yeah we actually really really love hearing from you all so it's awesome yeah it's so great. So thank you, everybody. Make sure you share us with your friends and get them to listen in as well. Um, and hopefully the Wallabies get a really good break and come back fit and firing for the game against Argentina in Newcastle. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We will catch you next week. Bye.